Hi and welcome to Sweetman Podcast. This is Simon Sweetman and this is my podcast where I talk to creative people. I want to find out their story and, and find out what they do and why they do it and how they do it. And this week I talked to, uh, you know, I, I guess one of my oldest friends and in, in, in the sense one of one of my best friends over the last 20 years, a guy called Ben Fulton. Now, Ben's a musician and he's also the uh, creator of a company called Red Witch Analog Pedals. So he's known in the music industry now for that. Um, but he's been, a, he's been a great musician and continues to play. Uh, he's worked with a bunch of people, we talk about that. So we had to tread a bit of a line here because uh, you know we're friends and we know a lot about each other already. And we, wanna, we reminisced a bit about there was a time when we were both working in bands um, on the on the circuit, I guess, uh, and and playing uh, music together, which is sort of how we met, and so we had to go through all of that. Um, but then there's this whole sort of part of his life I don't know about because I didn't meet him until we were late teenagers. So uh, with time, I've known a little bit about that. But it was interesting to find out that you know he'd always been obsessed with music and been such a sort of tinkerer with electronics that uh, you know the two things have come together perfectly to, to create his career as both a musician and then as a pedal maker so we talk about all that and we talk about um, how how the company has survived I mean the, he's, he's had this company going uh, in this time of economic uncertainty for 14 15 years now and it seems to just be striving ahead and he flies over to America and meets famous musicians and they endorse the product and he plays you know gigs hit around New Zealand still and is working on new bands so you hear some of his music in this so pretty cool chat this one and as I say it was, it was pretty special for me a, a, a sort of personal uh, thing where you don't get to interview your friends that often and when you do you find out a whole lot of stuff about them that you perhaps have taken for granted so this is me chatting with my friend Ben Fulton we probably what I think we met in school but we you were a school year ahead of me and we only just very briefly met at school right mm, yeah no I um I came to Havelock High for my seventh form year yeah I escaped from a, uh, a private college yeah. And uh, had the best year of my uh, high school experience at Havelock because uh, there were girls. There were girls, and <laughs> yeah. there was no uniform for the yeah. seventh form. Yeah. You can grow your hair long, play and music. Teachers weren't assholes. Precisely. Yeah, and you yeah. could spray your uh, Doc Martin boots sparkle yeah. blue if you felt inclined to. And so we, we, we had, yeah, like we became aware of each other or whatever we had met. And then I, I, my sort of real memory of it is that we. Uh, oh, we did that music course thing drama school that's right yeah yeah it was, it was a youth drama was, school and, that, and so that was when you moved to university and I was that was my final year of school and then after that we ended up in Wellington mm. at university and so yeah, at that's that right. point we sort of became mates right like, mm. but then we were we were hanging out and so what were you doing you came down here to do what uh, I came to Vic to study criminal psychology um it seemed like a smart move at the time. Yeah. And so I did two years of that and um, reached a point at the conclusion of the second year that I decided it wasn't really my bag and that I wanted to um, focus on playing guitar. And so I enrolled, uh, auditioned and got into the um, the jazz school down here. And it was at the time it was part of the Polytech but it was separate to the Polytech campus. It was up at the Old Fever Hospital on Mount Vic, which has kind of been refurbished and restored mm. as now the SPCA. But it was a very ramshackle, falling apart old building. And um, yeah, so I, 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 I 
I did that. That was yeah after after. So it was a, at the time you were there. It was a society to protect a whole different other kind of animal. Exactly. Um, it was. I was, yeah. I was thinking like you. It was a pretty um, interesting bunch. A pretty great, terrific bunch of musicians you were um, knocking around with, right? And still are in some a lot of cases. A- ab- absolutely. Yeah. Run through some of these people. Well, yeah. That was it. Was an amazing intake Crop. of guys yeah. here and and girls. Um, who um, have gone on to do some awesome things. Mm. So, you know, in my year or the year ahead or the year b- behind me, um, yeah, obviously, you know, like Rio Hemapo and Ricky Gooch who and, and Warren was, uh, I think, had been there mm. a couple of years ahead, but he was bouncing around. Um, so Trinity Roots formed out of that Yeah, they were, they were there. Yeah. And um, Joe Lindsay was a really... Um, uh, Joe Lindsay and a guy, Chris Palmer, and myself were pretty tight for several years because Joe was there for a couple of years. And, of course, he, a uh, trombone player in, in the Freddies. Um, Scott Towers was had been a student there a few years before and he was running some combo classes there. Yeah. And um, so there were a whole group of guys who'd, who'd been in that sort of scene that, you know, the Freddies and... And then there's other guys who were involved in the Black Seeds and um, uh, who else? Um, Justin Clark, yeah. um, H. Pryor. Um, there was just a, obviously you know who I'm really close with, um, Rick Cranston, who yeah. we're still playing together. Uh, who obviously was in the Bushies, Tom Cord, um, Joe Cord. Yeah, there was just a, yeah. a whole stack of really yeah, really yeah, talented yeah, yeah. people who. Yeah. Um, and it's quite funny. Um, just looking at the book, your book of. Um, that uh, Alex has done the the, the music music store, yeah, yeah. yeah, and just the number of guys that um, from that from that yeah, era, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. who've gone on to do cool things and and um, yeah, and it's interesting because even at, at Vic, I was the musical director for a capping review there, and um, uh, for two years actually, and one of the years, um, Brett and Jermaine were in the show. Mm. And uh, Taika as well, mm, mm. and you know, so there's a like a whole group. It was of a people. really interesting time because like I was talking to Layla Adu recently for this for the, for the podcast, and and talk, we were talking more specifically about the space years, which obviously partly grew out of that as well. Mm. A few years down the track, Jeff, yeah, yeah, that was really Henderson, Jeff, yeah. Jeff Henderson, but uh, some of those, you know, Ricky Gooch and Chris O'Connor and the Cool yeah, 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 you know, some of those names pop up again, and then there was, um, you know, a lot of you guys were also out. Um, doing you know covers you know mm. I've, talk, I've talked to lisa tomlins before mm. too and you know like doing covers bands doing mm. funk soul reviews yeah. doing and so it was a pretty exciting and also it was that time when you'd go to pubs I and mean, then we both did it did mm. this but you'd go to pubs and get easily get gigs yeah well we were uh, what, in, in, in the case of my band you didn't even need to know how to play right yeah. <laughs> you, could, you could still get a gig you just had to price yourself right exactly well no you guys had had a, had a follow <laughs> had a following of, of the university the law yes. students seemed to you know yes. they, they, they'd come and flock i think yes. it was the uh, the sex appeal of your lead singer yeah um but yeah now around that time uh, you know back then was playing in um a group funkatron which we were doing a bunch of stuff in some of the same places that sofa was playing too yeah. and but it was great. It was a great time because we, we'd, I remember we'd finish gigs and then we'd go down to um, to Tattoo where um, uh, the guys were playing Friday and Saturday night. Mm. And um, and there was, you know, it was a great band, Mucka McGregor on um, drums, Lisa singing, um, a friend of mine, Julian Dixon, um, we were paling, you know, hanging out at the time. He was the year ahead of me at the jazz school. He was a great guitar player. Warren was playing sax. It was you know everybody was busy doing mm, stuff, mm, so it was mm. it was a really it was a really good time and um, yeah. Now you didn't 
you didn't obviously you, you came here to university and you were teaching guitar and you were um, and you were and then you got into jazz school but um, and, and you were here at this really exciting time this vibrant scene um, was just sort of bursting up around all of that but um, when did you start playing music obviously you arrived to Wellington um, with some skills as mm. a musician already so how early in life did music come up for you well, uh, well I was always I was always really um, into music as a kid. Um, I didn't. I played a little bit of piano. Um, I was really keen to learn piano, and I and I got some lessons, but it didn't really take. I don't know whether it was a combination of circumstance or whatever, but it wasn't really for me. And so it wasn't until I was about fourteen that I started playing guitar, and it was inspired by a number of things. Like my dad played some guitar, so I sort of there was one floating around. And then there was um, seeing Zeppelin. Actually, it was it was seeing um, the live clip of them playing "Stairway to Heaven," as cliched and corny as that may be. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just saw this guy with a double neck, and the sounds came about. It made a you know a real impact, and and that was really what sort of well, things are cliched for a reason, right? They've been experienced lots. Precisely. Uh, yeah. 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 So that left a, a real impact and started the journey. And you know, I'm still very passionate about Led Zeppelin, but. It, it you know there was a guy in Hawke's Bay over at the Harbour Market there used to be these markets that were on Saturday and Sunday and um, there's this guy um, who had a record stall and he'd just have boxes of records and this is long before kind of the resurgence mm-hmm. this is at the time when CDs were the, the be all and end all yeah, and everyone yeah. was selling their records and and this guy was great because he put me on to all sorts of different stuff you know there's a guy Alan Taylor who's an English folk player, he's still around, but he'd done an album like in 1970 called Sometimes that, that really I really, really loved. And it was with guys who were in Fairport Convention and sort mm. of opened those doors. So, um, it, yeah, it was it, it sort of the seed was planted with the rock thing and then it sort of expanded out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, played in bands at high school and, um, you know, there was Zeppelin and then I was also really fond of Faith and More as well. Um, so they were really influential. Mr. Bungle sort of um, resonated with um, resonated with, uh, I suppose, some of that square peg in a round hole sort mm. of feeling that myself mm. and friends sort of felt growing up in provincial New Zealand at that yeah. time. You know that uh, if you didn't play uh, rugby and, and um, drink tui, then you were something of an oddity. Yeah. And so I'm um, finding that like the Mr. Bungle stuff, which just had this sense of um, just there was this mocking and yeah. uh, and it was definitely wonderful madness about it. Yeah, it was reactionary. And, I, and years later, I ended up talking with Trace Bruins, who was the guitar player and primary um, composer for for Bungle, and because um, they'd put sort of little clips of stuff, you know, with portable recorders, mm. and and there was there's a section where there sounds like they're in a rail yard, just as kids just fucking around, really. Mm. And um, I talked to him about it, and he goes, "Yeah, it's, it's exactly what it was." Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh yeah. So that's just reminded me. One thing I wanted to talk to you about was you've you sort of very early on um, had this kind of when I say early on, we're talking pre internet explosion, social media, the chance to connect with all sorts of people. You seem to me to be very good and 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 I mean this in the nicest possible way, quite shameless about seeking people out that you were interested in talking to. Not in a not in any kind of um, well, to my mind, it wasn't just in any kind of sort of. Um, 
star fucker mentality mm, but mm. it was like I want to talk to that person I want mm. to find out what they do I want yeah. to, and so you, I remember you played me some conversation with Trace Brooks you also I, I, I recall um, one of us had a, a, a guitar world um, one of those fold out things with a, a thing of a guitar of Jimmy Page's and oh, yeah, yeah. I remember you getting a magnifying glass <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this has just come back to me I don't think we've ever actually but I remember you getting a magnifying glass yeah. and looking inside the case and going yeah. you know there's a phone number there I'm going to ring that <laughs> yes so, yeah I think you know I've, I've always um, it's an interesting observation and it's an accurate one in that I've never had any issue with I don't know I think if you're going to do something and there's people that have done, you know, have already gone down that path. Yeah, done it first and better. Done it first and and done it well, or yeah. or even just ha- are, are on that are on some sort of a further along some sort of course that you have an interest in yourself. Mm-hmm. Then it, it it makes a great deal of sense to talk to people, um, and and see if they're willing to share. Like well, even you know all along the way, you know, I've 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 never had I've never seen it as any sort of issue to, to say look I think what you're doing is great mm. and I'm, I'm just curious about this or that or you know mm-hmm. and more often than not and particularly with someone like um, Trace Bruins because he just when I got in contact with him he had just he'd played on the Faith and Walking for a Full for a Lifetime That's album right. and he'd left uh, it hadn't worked out mm. um, there was some contention I think mm. um but yeah, and so he was sort of back into this, you know, underground status again. And so he's, he's not someone, certainly at that time, who would mm. have been a, a household name yeah, yeah, and someone yeah. that guitarists, you know, you know, universally would be aware. Obviously, he's done a lot more stuff now, mm. but he's still, you know, he's he's certainly someone that's, um, you know, marched the beat of his own drum. I haven't had any, any contact with him for a long time, but. Mm, mm. Um, but you know, he, he was in, engaged, you know, uh, and engaging, um, and generous enough to to chat. And we we talked every now and again for several years and yeah, so on because he thought but it was quite cool. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, you just I just, him up. yeah, yeah, exactly. It was you just, just you know the international directory and away <laughs> you go. And he was, you know, he was he was more than happy to chat. And yeah. as I say, we talked every now and again for for several years. Um, you know the. Um, they this was before the last um california the the last mr bungle album came yeah, out yeah but uh, yeah so so you know in a broad general sort of sense i just think that you know that it, it's sort of foolish to try and reinvent the wheel you know mm-hmm. if, if there's people who've done things yeah, we can learn from exactly you know there's no there's no issue with that it's it's i to me it's it's a, it's a and you're you know i mean musicians will often say you know they're doing that anyway in terms of reading the articles going to the records going mm. to the gigs you know pulling down these different bits and pieces from someone else's career mm. so you know why not further that by you know if they're mm. already listening to the interviews yeah that people give uh, or reading them why not go one further and get it mm. you know directly yeah and i guess i guess perhaps with the redwich stuff with the guitar effects pedals company mm. effects pedal company some of the stuff with um working with artists and things um has perhaps come from some of the earlier sort of stuff i suppose and that in in the end you know it's like if you're interested in other people and um you've got something to offer yourself um then you know the the, the, the key is always to, to pursue a two-way sort of a street well, you know also just thinking you've got this common interest right you're talking about which mm. is which is kind of what what i've sort of found with most of the people i have interviewed over the years is like hopefully we are talking about something we both 
like. I mean, sometimes I've had to talk to some musicians who whose work I haven't really had that much of a handle on or interest in, but but usually you find some common ground because mm. you're both passionate about mm. being involved in some aspect of the arts. Definitely, and I think that the era that we live in now is is, is particularly strange. It's, it's quite distorted and, and sort of twisted the whole mm. cult of personality and the you know the people being celebrities for being celebrities rather than for anything that they've achieved and that's you know a different thing and then because of that culture you know growing and expanding the people who actually have created some really cool sort of things are you know have to deal with some of the same sort of Mm. madness and things and so yeah the guys that I've I've met through Red Witch and so on it's always been lovely to be able to offer something you know it's like they have an interest what what we're creating well I want to talk about Red Witch but I reckon we've, we've got a couple more steps before we get to that sure. I'm thinking so so I'm thinking like you've you've learned to play the guitar to at least some level you're mm-hmm. good enough to have got into jazz school um, you've you've done that you're playing um, covers gigs and, and bits and pieces you're teaching um, teaching guitar at home mm. and you're surviving through Essentially, you're supporting yourself through yeah, music, yeah. through music by this point mm. because you're a teacher and a player, right? And That's right. Yeah. You're doing some crazy things like travelling, you know, up the country to play a gig and then back in the early hours, like a lot of people. Yeah, do. yeah. All of that sort of stuff, yeah, but, yeah. It, but it works. And yeah. And then so, um, I feel like, and I feel like the next big thing that happens for you is um, you again, and this is related to just cold calling people and hooking up with people and just I feel like the next big thing that happens for you is is poorly done yeah yeah well basically um I was playing in a number of different bands and things and um most of it was cover stuff and um I just I read I remember reading um a biography of Bon Scott the uh, original singer from ACDC and was talking about how they had um the commitment they'd made to go to England, you know, they'd gone over there with no money and just living in really, really, um, with limited, very limited yeah, means and, and yeah. limited food and, and, you know, it was not an easy time for them, but they were so committed to making it work that they did that. And I, I just remember sort of taking stock of where I was at and sort of the situation I was working in and, and looked sort of around and sort of thought, I don't think, I can't feel, I don't feel there's that willingness to, to make that commitment. And I think, um, I think that, yeah, you know, I think, I think it's a differentiator, you know, in any, in any endeavor, but certainly in music that people often, when we, when you live in a comfortable country where it's not that much of a struggle, uh, you know, to mm. some degree, and certainly it's not quite the land of milk and honey people think it is overseas mm. here, but it's, it's certainly a lot easier to be here than it is in other places. Mm. I think that, um. I think that um, I think a differentiator is is the willingness to just commit everything, and I, and I so I sort of gave some thought to the options, and you know that from that first Alan Taylor record, I'd always had the sort of love of the acoustic stuff, and so mm. I you know and I had a growing interest in things, and so I I kind Tracing of tracing back some of Jimmy Page's yeah yeah exactly to, uh, yeah play, exactly but, Bert Yanch yeah, yeah. um, and people like that, and so the um, yeah, I sort of started putting um, some work into solo acoustic playing, and uh, yeah, I was aware of Paul Abana Jones and had some of his albums, and 
I really sort of thought about who, you know, who the players were that I really loved. And I thought, well, there's, there's Page and there's Hendrix. And on the acoustic, you know, there was no one that I was more fond of than, than Paul. And mm. so got in contact and he invited me to come down to Christchurch and we hung out and he showed me some stuff on the guitar. And then sort of it started the friendship. And, you know, I, I first of all, you know, a few of the times he came through Wellington, I helped him out and did the door for him. And then mm. I ended up doing some support stuff for him. Then we toured together here in New Zealand and some in Australia. And that uh, was great. You know, he was very, very generous towards me and really um, was very kind and, and helped, you know, because it's not an easy thing, solo performance to start mm. with. Mm. And so from there, I, you know, I, I ended up doing a bunch of tours by myself and um, was really committed to the solo acoustic thing for, you know, a good three, three or four years. And, mm. um, you know, played some, some lovely spots. It was, it's, it's a very... It's a it's a, a particular view of New Zealand that you'd only get through doing yeah, that, you yeah. know, travelling by yourself and playing from place to place and doing the big drives and and um, mm. yeah, you know, it was um, it was it was hard work, you know, because there's obviously a limited number of places where an audience is, you're going to get the right sort of audience, you know, you end up having to play bunches of places where you, you nearly you're... sabotaged that one night too when you had some fucking idiot read poetry before. Oh yeah, I know. Before I you played at the old bodega, what? I remember. Speaking of generosity, you were yeah. very ridiculously kind to me to to let me do. Yeah, that. yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, that was a good night. I, I don't. It wasn't <laughs> so much of an issue for me, but I do remember Fraser, who owned the bar. Um, the next the next morning was rather ropeable about some of his. I think there were some of his regulars probably that were sort of kicking up, but. You know, the venues like Bodega, <laughs> the old Bodega were just were just magic, you know. That, yeah, that, that, and those Paul gigs there, like, mm. we both uh, went to a bunch of them. Yeah. I, I was thinking when you said, you, I, I can remember one of the times you opened for Paul, I mm. think I did the door. Yeah. Uh, and I certainly was there as an audience member a lot, and, and as a beginning out as a reviewer mm. and all of that sort of thing. It was... Um, the, he was one of those guys that, you know, there were a few others, but he was one of those mm. guys. A Paul Ivana Jones gig at the old Bodega was, was something to be at. Absolutely, and it was... Yeah, it was a real, it was a a really magical spot. Mm. It um, you know, just where it was positioned. You know, you sort of, I was living in the Ari Valley for a decent chunk of time, and and so you could just kind of stroll down. It was the local, and there was always great music. And Fraser did an amazing job of, of mm. you know, it was a real hub of colourful characters. Exactly, and yeah. you know, I remember one evening playing with 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 Paul. You know, um, doing the opening set, and then jumping up and we did this version of Norwegian Wood and mm. uh, a friend of Paul's Naomi who'd come along to the gigs and she played percussion and stuff oh, and, right. yeah, yeah. and I remember us doing this like 25 minute long version of Norwegian yeah. Wood and someone killed all the lights apart from one green or red spotlight on the stage and it was just it, went, it was huge and it went really really tiny and small yeah. and intimate and so on. it was quite psychedelic um, but it was just you know there were 200 people crammed into this tiny space yeah yeah but it was so you, uh, it was magic. Yeah, you're, I mean, you. There were a bunch of people that were kind of pro- big influences on you when you when you're in this period. Obviously, John Martin, Jeff Buckley, the the big Paul, mm. the big the big one that sticks out for me, and I think other people was Nick Drake. Mm. And I'm like, where did you get onto him? And was Paul sharing some of this music with you? Like, or did you, you know? Was yeah, stuff yeah. You already knew of? Certainly. Paul opened my, you know, opened my ears to a, a number of people. Like I hadn't really checked out much of John Martin stuff, yeah. and John Martin was a huge influence name, on you know, on, yeah, yeah. on Paul, you know, and uh, and so he he shared that with me. The Nick Drake thing, actually, I remember I I'd, I'd first heard Nick Drake some years beforehand. A friend of mine had played me 
at a box set of his stuff, mm. you know, at a time when Nick Drake wasn't really known. I was going to say, it was a time when he just yeah, wasn't. Yeah, people didn't know him. And, now um, it's almost a cliche to mention him, yeah, right? So. Yeah, exactly. And so she had this box set, and I was just, it was, it was sort of otherworldly hearing it. And so um, when I started pursuing the solo acoustic thing, it was definitely someone that resonated. And, um, you know, the guitar style, the guitar playing, was there was just a lot of depth there and a lot of material to sort of work through and mm. get your teeth into and 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 also his his singing style you know i've never been a particularly confident singer and yet his the breathiness in his voice i felt more comfortable singing that sort of mm. style of, of stuff and so yeah and also the fact that just his music's so remarkably evocative and it's it sort of creates a you know a, a, it's a self-contained little time capsule thing yeah. too isn't it you know this finite number of songs exactly it would even the images that it sort of creates it's yeah. very nostalgic it's sort of a, of, a, of a, a world that's no longer with or, us and so yeah, on autumnal and hazy exactly and, yeah. yeah the english sort of thing yeah. and i've always i've always quite loved that sort of you know that 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 imagery and yeah. um and so yeah so no that he you know and, and I, I did a number of different rearrangements of his tunes and things and um yeah yeah and also being at that stage that i was at you know this was in my sort of early 20s and obviously you know um nick drake did his first album when he was 19 so there's a naivety you know you can certainly hear in his first album i think by the the last four songs he recorded i think the naivety had been lost and he was deep in the 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 pits of of struggling with with mental health issues and his depression and things so that it it, you know there wasn't that naivety there anymore but I know myself, you know, you know, he's and the thing with Nick Drake now, you know, I'm, I'm 40 now, and so I, I look back at that, and I look back at Nick Drake, and and I think um, he's become something of the poster child because he was beautiful and mm. he had this beautiful voice, and there's this tragic sort of story and so on, and yeah. and you know, and the same thing could be said for Jeff Buckley as well, and mm. and you know, at the time, you know, I certainly was buying into that sort of thing and was quite the zealot, you know, and it was all sort of quite black and white. And, and I look at it now and I sort of go, oh, well, you know, a few years on the clock and one, it tempers sort of things somewhat. But, um, you know, I think um, I, I think probably both of those guys wouldn't necessarily... I think particularly Nick Drake would appreciate that his music's been heard and people have loved it and mm. it's connected with people because as a musician that's all you ever hope for is that you know something you've created resonates with other yeah. people and maybe helps people because um, there was an interview with Nick Drake where you know or a conversation not even an interview but a conversation I think with Joe Boyd where he said I just just have one of my one of my songs be heard by one person to make some sort of a, a, a positive impact with, mm. that's all I'd want mm. And um, and I think that um, yeah, but I think that Nick Drake and 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 Jeff Buckley, particularly Jeff Buckley, actually neither of them would really appreciate the whole poster child yeah, for the yeah. tragic loss, yeah. you know, sort of thing. Like Jeff Buckley, you know, had a great sense of humour. And there's a lot of stuff that's come out after he passed on, which I don't think should have. And there's an interview I've seen off uh, DVD where he's. I don't know whether he's high or what, but he's really affected, and he's he's, he's he comes across really awkwardly and and Mm. sort of really sort of there's a pompous sort of energy and it's like Mm. i don't think that was who he was you know Mm, mm. um and so i think um i don't know these people sort of people latch onto the tragic circumstances and in the end it's like that's not why they're famous they're not famous because they died they're famous because of the art that they created so you 
you were a solo artist at this point, almost exclusively. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. wasn't it? It was. Yeah. You were still doing a bit of teaching, I guess, mm. but you were. Uh, no, no, I stopped. Totally stopped teaching. Yeah. All I was doing was playing solo acoustic stuff. And that led to making a record. Yeah, yeah, which, I, I did an album, which. Yeah. Uh, was what it was. I did it really early on in the piece. Yeah. I did it after about six months worth of work, which uh, you know it is what it is. I it's. Um, when did you last hear it? Oh, quite a long time ago. Yeah. And yeah. What, what do you think about it now? Oh, I, I Are probably you probably a bit kinder to it now than yeah. a few years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's it's. I think um, in reflection, it would have been valuable to probably leave it a while. Mm. Um, but anyway. It, it is what it is. It's a document of that time. Yeah, right? it's a snapshot it's of where things are. Yeah. I've got some live recordings which I feel more comfortable with because mm-hmm. I think the voice had sort of evolved a bit more. But, yeah. it, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and so, you, you know, you didn't get rich off the record and you didn't make another record and I don't know that you were trying to do either of those things. But, no. But um, what, what happens that, that... What's the next significant... Well, yeah, the, the, what happened was um, there, there was thoughts to go off and uh, live in Ireland and tour mm-hmm. through Europe and, uh, and my daughter was born and uh, Lily and she was born five days after 9-11 and so of course you know those events through the you know the western world into turmoil and mm-hmm. everyone sort of what the fuck is yeah, happening exactly yeah. and um, and so you know the, the plans changed you yeah. know um, New Zealand's seemed like a very safe place to, to stay in. Yeah. And so that that was what sort of changed the plan there. Um, and then I was touring, and a very dear friend of mine, um, James Rochester, um, was, was he was travelling with me, helping out with sound, but he's a very fine musician in his own right. And we got chatting about putting together a rock band. And so I, you know, it sounded like a good idea. It, it would be yeah. fun sort of thing to, to, to revisit I didn't have any gear at the time and my partner she bought me uh, an old Holden amplifier which uh, didn't work and so it needed some some um, it needed to be restored basically and I'd always had an interest in that sort of stuff but I hadn't really put much time and effort into it I had, certainly hadn't studied any, anything to do with it and it was really through restoring that amplifier that sort of rekindled an interest in electronics and design and sonics and things and mm. so I, I, I repaired this amplifier and I ended up um, kind of thinking about pedals and so on, guitar effects pedals and so it was really it was from there at building some pedals for myself that uh, the Redwich well, thing kicked let's in. Let's just pause there because mm. um, you just made me think of one of my sort of fond stories I have of you as, as one of the the small handful of times we shared a stage, you turned up with a um, with your own sort of um, mixing desk of a kind that you'd built with fader switches, which was a lever arch folder. Um, <laughs> I have no cut, recollection of that. You had cut slots into and attached like faders, and it was to and you had, there was circuitry inside it to and I don't know if it actually worked, but it worked in demonstration, and you were gonna um, and you were gonna use that to like maneuver some lights for a, for a, a party show I have doing. no recollection yeah well this that. is the um, the, the um, weekend at Bernie's I must have been <laughs> altered 
<laughs> so oh, that was, yeah, that's sort of ringing a bell. So that is where I kind of found out that you had this sort of this. this was, wasn't uh, just the singer that let this, the side down, you know, the lever yeah, arch yeah, <laughs> the side down. You, that's where I found out that you had this side of you where you know you you were not allowed to be drunk and in charge with a soldering iron. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. And, that, and that you'd actually through school you'd done some tinkering with computers and electronics. And yeah, yeah. I you know I um, so let's fill in just a little bit of that. Sure. Well, I I'd, I'd always enjoyed pulling stuff apart. It was more the putting it back together that was slightly problematic. Um, but when I was a kid, you know, we were sort of talking under the age of 10, you know, nothing was more enjoyable to me than, than going to galas and buying old TVs and hi-fis and things and pulling it, stuff apart. Was it just to pull it apart or was it to pull it apart to see how it worked? Oh, it was to pull it apart for the purpose of doing something, yeah. you know. It's just yeah. it's just questionable as to how successful those ventures sure. were. And there were things like, I remember building this console when I was about eight uh, out of cardboard it was generally the preferred sort of you know <laughs> media. media yeah exactly uh, the medium of, of, of construction cardboard yeah. and sellotape and yeah. um, there's this um, stereo cassette record player thing I bought at some gala and the connections the sockets that it used to plug the external speakers in happened to be the same socket that took the AC 240 volt power cord into our family cassette player in the kitchen so of course I built this thing and I eventually one day I was a bit bored as was you know the way it goes um and so I, I you know went down to the kitchen and just quietly acquired the the mains cord and plugged it into this thing and sort of stood back and hit the power and of course what I was doing was putting 240 volts into the, the speaker output <laughs> section of this 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 thing and of course there was a an, a small explosion and there was some Mm. some flames and the cardboard of course set alight slightly and I managed to kind of put it all out before anyone else needed to be alerted but <laughs> yeah so there were various things but then I was about probably eight at the time so you know they um, got you pretty hot yeah my mother got really scared actually um, and so she bought me a rubber mat in the in the workshop when I was a little bit older I was like 12 and we moved to Havelock North and I had half of a workshop space out in the garage yeah I remember she bought a rubber mat um to, you know, in an attempt to try and prohibit me from killing myself by <laughs> electrocution. So, okay, so that because that's quite a crucial part of the background to Red Witch. I feel was that you, mm. you're uh, you're you're a musician, you're a guitar player of of, of certainly some ability, and then you uh, have this background of being like a self-taught um, tinkerer shall we say yeah yeah I, absolutely and, those, and so those two worlds come together quite perfectly to mm. to, to make and, and create um, guitar pedals and yeah so, so you started off just tinkering for yourself I'm going to see if I can make a pedal well what it was was just to go back a section yeah. you know um, when I was in my sort of early teens I was still you know really interested in electronics and again this whole thing of, of having people who were further down the path and knew what they were on about sort of mentoring or helping out there were there were two guys. Um, one was um, uh, a couple of family friends, uh, a guy Terry Evans, who was uh, who did TV repair stuff and mm. computers things and and so on. And this is this would be in the eighties, late eighties. Mm. And he was very generous to to me. Like he'd always when he they'd, they'd come over to ha- hang out with my parents, he'd always turn up with boxes of stuff, mm. um, you know, circuit boards and, and oscilloscope and tools and things you know and it was very generous towards me with that and then then I was like probably 12 or 13 and long before 
trade me and so on there was an ad in the local paper for like a garage sale for like electronic parts and went over there and this there was this guy john bradley who um really interesting man he was a musician as well been a keyboard player uh in the late 60s and stuff who'd born in england and moved out to to new zealand with his family and um and he was designing things as a you know self-employed design guy um for the dsir and stuff but he also you know was designing keyboards and things for his own Mm. amusement um and so he was very generous to me with time and so on and advice and things but it was sort of funny because i was never particularly good at maths and i sort of thought well if i was going to go down that path and actually study mathematics would be quite a necessary component in it all and i just thought oh, it sounds too difficult and mm. so i sort of gave it away and then years later working on the amplifier um and then designing some pedals for myself it was really i suddenly realized that well you know when there's a real application for it i remember a math teacher that i had john scudder uh who was a really nice guy he was actually at the previous school that i mentioned um, which wasn't much fun, but he was um, he was he was a character. Uh, he ran the orchestra, he was a bass player, um, but also ran the computer lab and things. But he taught maths. And I just remember him saying once, you know, well, it's it's more often not not the case of having a reason to know something mm. that um, you know motivates the desire to learn it, you know, or something to that effect. And it was so true because suddenly, you know, okay, I've got this thing that I've got to this point, and suddenly, you know, I don't know, there's a high frequency wine going on or something rather and so you know you need to work out how to roll off those high frequencies because it's not going to have an impact on the sound mm. so you know you there's a thing called a resistor capacitor network it's a very simple way of just you know cuts you know can be a high frequency or low frequency um roll off um depending on how it's structured but you know you can actually calculate with the value of the resistance and the value of the capacitance at what point that frequency will start getting rolled off so, you know, that's pretty simple, you know. And there's a reason to do it because this thing fucking doesn't work. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. so you need to make it work. So, yeah. you know, so that sort of kind of, kind of came full circle. Yeah. But the, the other thing also is I realized some time ago that I, I don't have a great memory for, for formulas and lyrics, like my own yeah. lyrics, you know. Yeah. I'm not good at pulling stuff out sort of verbotum, you know, like yeah. um, photographic memory is definitely not yeah. me. Yeah. And so I think that's probably one of the reasons I sort of struggle a bit with maths, whereas like if I'm able to pull out the formula, then it's fine, you know, because yeah, particularly yeah. if there's a purpose to it. Yeah. But yeah, so it's sort of, if I'd had a little more aptitude for maths, it might have, things might have taken a different yeah, yeah. turn. But. but isn't it funny, I'm just thinking like, so, you know, you, I, I interview people and, you know, you sort of say, oh, did you ever think you'd end up doing this kind of thing? And people always go, no, you know, that's a million miles from... And I'm thinking about your story, and 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 I've sort of just had this realization about myself recently, uh, cleaning up some stuff when I went, you know, home to my parents' house, finding old diaries, and I was like, shit! I used to sit down and every day document what I listened to, and I used to be a, a smartass that fucking wisecracked people. Mm. So ending up writing a daily blog about music and mm. fucking people off with a smart mouth is not a huge stretch. Mm. And then I think. You tinkering with um, electronics and a soldering iron, playing mm. you know playing guitar. Mm. Um, it's not, and then next thing like, well, and we'll get to this, but a few years you know on from where we're about to talk about your and, and the other thing is, and you having this kind of uh, ability to this confidence to mm. to talk to people and to go and seek out mm. wisdom from sources. Next thing you're on Facebook sharing 
photos of yourself with Billy Corgan, Joe Satriani, who you know, who mm. loads of others. We'll mm. talk about that, but you know, in a, in a sense, think, you look back, it kind of makes complete sense, right? Yeah, I, I, look, I think this the. the the core of it and the key to it is is, is passion ultimately mm. it's you know it's if you're doing something that combines the various things you're passionate yeah. about yeah, yeah. and that's the universal thread you know it's one of the things i've found talking with these players that you know that people you know revere and hold yeah. up as, yeah. as you know the pinnacle of of success and and so and on billy corgan <laughs> no comment um billy corgan's a very nice man to chat to and so on. and you know the, i would love to talk to him um, he's into wrestling he's hilarious look i you know that um the first album they did was was phenomenal oh, for sure and i haven't i haven't heard a great deal of, of what sort of came following that but but all of those people you know have are revered by yeah, yeah. by others as, as you know and 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 the thing the strangest thing is that when you talk to these guitar players, you know, everybody has someone else that they look up to. Like, you know, in that documentary, it might get loud. There's a, a scene where um, they're talking with, with Jimmy Page and he's in his music room and he puts on the Rumble by Link Ray on a little 45 you know, record that he's got there, puts it on and starts playing air guitar along to it. Closed eyes, just grinning like a kid. Mm. And then he mentions the tremolo effect that comes in in the song that Link Ray turns up and whilst he's talking about it and it's about to occur in the song Jimmy Page reaches back and turns up the tremolo effect on his ear amplifier mm-hmm. so he's playing ear guitar and he has the ear amplifier and he's in that moment I thought was, was really beautiful because the number of kids growing up have played ear guitar along to sort of Zeppelin and there's the guy who you know sort of held yeah. up as that rock god just like a kid just bliss blissing out on, yeah. on, on the, something which was so influential on him and you know the number of guitar players i've talked with you know that people consider to be great that you know you bring up someone like jeff beck and yeah. suddenly you know it's just a group of fanboys talking yeah, yeah, about yeah, you know a kid again. exactly yeah, yeah. and isn't that wonderful like well it's passion that's yeah, the yeah. thing and i guess you know the the thing you're saying about tinkering with electronics when i was a kid you know there's a real passion for yeah, that yeah, and a yeah, real yeah. interest and then the music thing there's a real passion there for playing and stuff so it's yeah it's it's I think that's yeah, it's 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 the the meeting point the of all those things. Of those, yeah. So Redwitch started off as you making some pedals for yourself, experimenting essentially. Yeah, yeah. And, and when it, did it become Redwitch? Well, it came it became Redwitch pretty quickly because yeah. I I tend not to fuck around too much um, when I sort of get an idea in my head and yeah. you know whether the things whether ideas unfold into you know you fully actualized yeah exactly right and if it sticks it's that yeah. thing of like yeah. you know if it if it's if it's what's in my mind at the time then that's what's going to yeah. get the focus yeah yeah and so it was you know it became it became pretty um swiftly uh into into something more than just me making some stuff for myself and you know i i i'd um I came up with a design for a phase pedal which had a phaser and tremolo and then combined the two things which no one else had done and it was called the moon phaser. And, you know, yeah, I, I sort of decided that I was going to do this thing and so I spent some time just sort of researching basically and it was before the before there being a million different sites online mm-hmm. with information, you know. So, I, you know, I drew from a bunch of different resources. I got some university textbooks and some you know just various different places you know there were a few sites talking about pedal stuff but not not many you know i think there were probably 22 23 guys doing good boutique 
get you know sort of boutique made mm. effects pedals when mm. I started Redwich and now if you go on Harmony Central yeah. there's just thousands every, every guy with a guitar and a soldiering iron has a yeah, pedal yeah. company and um, and so it sort of it was born from there and it's like being a you know earlier doctor of craft beer or something mm. <laughs> yeah yeah you know it, it um, and you know it's, it works to our advantage because the brand's well established yeah. and you know we've got a you know we've got a base of artists who use our stuff and have been using our stuff for quite a long time so that's that's helpful. So somewhere in there, there's this there's this passion for music, and obviously, you know, te- I guess the technical side of it to shorthand. Um, but there's also, I seem to recall um, from talking to you near the time, you know, around that time, early time, there's also somewhere in there you've got this sort of practical sense that I need, I've got a mouth to feed, you know, mm, extra mm. mouth to feed, you know, I've got to support a family, right? Yeah, and so. Crazy scheme on the one hand mm, um, mm. to go off into a shed and um, try and create a line of guitar pedals, mm. but at the same time you obviously saw. Yeah. If I apply myself to this, there is a chance this could turn into a, a real job. And well, in a yeah. sense In a sense, the only one what, you've had, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. Is the fact that I kind of realised that I was unemployable. Um, just. Mm. Probably primarily due to the fact that I'm only just discovering that. So no, you spotted it. No, the, the, oh, I, I was well aware of it. it <laughs> mainly due to the fact that I hated the idea of being employed, uh, having yeah. an inherent issue with um, somebody telling me what to do. Uh, just didn't sort of sit so great, and so I sort of looked at the options, uh, and um, yeah, most things required some sort of fitting in, and uh, I wasn't really so keen on doing that. Um, and so, yeah, starting my own thing. I I had I t- when I taught guitar, I had a few friends teach, you know, alongside. Mm. You know, I, you know, Rio taught yeah. some bass for me. My brother taught some bass as well. A uh, guy Lotu Latu taught some bass, and then Chris Palmer, who I mentioned earlier on, he taught some guitar for me. And so, you know, I I had something, and I, with the bands that I worked with, I'd, I'd generally done the management side yeah, of it. Yeah. And then the solo acoustic thing again, I'd, I'd managed Bottle all the business yeah, yeah. business side. So there was. To some degree of it, you know, and you, those are all there. things you're learning on the job. So you're building those skills without even really exactly realizing it at first, right? Yeah. And then suddenly you're like, oh, I can do that. I was yeah. I was actually doing well. That. Necessities, yeah. mother yeah. of invention, yeah. you know. And um, so it was, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was, and it just, it just felt like the thing to do, and um, uh, and as I say, there wasn't. You know, and about again talking about reaching out to people and things. I looked at all of the guys that were doing it. You know, mm. as I say, it was really just a handful of them that were doing anything that that I thought was particularly interesting. And I I reached out to um, Zachary Vex, who owns Zvex Effects, and I thought what he was doing was great because they had these hand painted effects boxes, and they were quite polarizing. They they wouldn't have been everybody to went to yeah. everybody's taste, but they. They were unique, and um, they were, uh, you know, there was art involved. It wasn't just, you know, sort of by numbers type of thing at all. Yeah, yeah. And their website was great too. They had these animations and things. And so I reached out to him and I sent him an email and said, "Look, I think what you're doing is great. I'm looking at starting my own pedal company, and I've got no interest in trying to rip you off. I've got my own aesthetic, which is very different to what you're doing. But I wondered if you had any advice." And he came back with three pages of, of email. It was incredibly generous, 
and um, you know he talked about scheduled purchasing um, about how um, you needed to get your stuff into certain key stores because if you got it into certain stores then famous people would get hold of it through there and then you'd become famous and people would want your your gear and you'd be aware of your brand and and so on so it was a, it was a very generous outpouring on his part and we've become great friends over the years and we catch up every year at the NAM show and he's still you know he's a he's a he's a remarkable individual he's a very very clever man and um you know very fond of him mm. um and yeah we've 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 been friends for for a long while i think he enjoyed my when i was younger some of my wildest sort of <laughs> side i think he's uh you know at the name shows and things we've had some fun so i'm thinking like if i mention your name like in a conversation and particularly say in wellington music circles people will generally will go up uh, you know if they don't already actually know you they'll go oh yeah red witch or oh yeah guitar guy mm. or guitar pedals guy mm. so when did you realize uh, i guess when did you realize that that's what you were becoming and that's what mm. you became and, and i think like for a lot of people the first news they had of you doing anything like that was there was an article in the sunday star times with your picture on one side and sting Mm. on the other mm. talking about when the police were in town yeah that's about. right yeah. and so that was that was obviously like one of the early steps of it becoming like mm. a bit more of a big deal than just a guy mucking around in the shit exactly so talk me through how that sort of well yeah basically it um it started it was self-funded and um and so um it took some time to, for the business yeah, to grow yeah, yeah. And um, to to expand the product range, but it was again it was um, it was a case of of it, the Empress Chorus pedal, which is, it's a modulation pedal that creates like a shimmery sort of a sound. Um, and Andy Summers, the guitar player for the Police, really popularised it. You know, it's an effect, it's a it's a sound. I'm not a huge fan of the sound in general because it was grossly overused in the 80s by fusion guitar players. And mm. but Andy Summers used it really tastefully, and um, you know he. I got a call from my friend Dave uh, at True Tone Music in Santa Monica, which is a fantastic guitar store, and they've got a, an amazing clientele of just all of the who's who of guitar players, really, that are mm. states, LA sort of based. And um, and I got a call from him just to say, oh, just to let you know, um, Andy Summers has just got a bunch of your stuff and for a project next year. I was like, oh, that's cool. And he said, oh, you bought some, he bought several of your Empress Chorus pedals. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, obviously Andy Summers being the chorus guy, and mm-hmm. and and the funny thing was when I designed the the uh, the Empress Chorus, you know, the way I design is is uh, very much a hands-on sort of thing. I come up with a rough circuit. I'll put it on what's called a breadboard, plug a guitar in one end and an amplifier in the other, and start adjusting values till it sounds right. And mm-hmm. so, you know. Um, is the breadboard made of cardboard or a lever arch? No, no. It's, a lever arch it's not a lever arch folder. Right, okay. If it could it have been bread, made of it. It is actually a breadboard. It's actually, no, it's it's not even involved Man, in bread making. Have, things have changed. We've really upped the ante yeah. somewhat, you know. It's uh, yeah, high rolling. High, high rolling, you know, as I yeah. say. It's about, they're about 26, maybe maybe $27 um, right, from right. places like JCAR. But yeah. it, basically, it's a board with little holes in it and the, the holes are linked in groups of five and you yeah. can patch stuff together without having to solder anything and change components out very easily yeah. so anyway the you know the neighbours in Paikakariki <laughs> had been tormented for six months with, with, with me playing different police riffs yeah. and then about eight months later um, well shortly after you know not 
eight months after that, but four or five months after that, I got this call from yeah. David Truton saying, Andy's got the stuff and it's for a project. And then um, it was it was only when uh, Guitar Play magazine came out, I think it was 2006, with Andy Summers on the cover of it, really in-depth interview with him and a profile of all the gear he was using, including a blow-by-blow of the stuff that he was using on three or four of the tunes. Yeah. And it showed that he was just using the Empress Chorus for all of his chorus stuff and the Moon Phaser as well. Yeah. Um, and so that was a huge thing for someone who, you know, chorus was his effect yeah. to use... This it's thing like that the I designed. Honor kind of thing, right? Exactly. Like the, the right man for the job and is telling you that the exactly. thing you made is doing the job. Well, right. the thing, the highest honor was the fact that he bought them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't yeah. give them to him for free. Yeah. He'd gone to the he shop found them. He, and he'd paid, you know, he'd paid for like five of them. Mm. And then Sting had got hold of them and the cor- and the phaser as well. And they had to sort of supply his because Andy wanted his phaser back or something, mm. right? There. I, there was some story like yeah. that, which is quite yeah. hilarious. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it, that's those sort of endorsements. Uh, you know, that, so that was the first really big deal endorsement. Type, uh, you know, like that was that, that was the most like, publicised. Yeah, really, yeah, really, yeah, you yeah. know, the, we we had a bunch of different people who you know. Because I was going to say there must be things for you where you, like it might not translate to everyone reading a story, but mm. for you, you're like, wow, that really means something. Oh, absolutely, you know? and um, you know, the, there's in the earliest sort of days, it was a case of you know people would happen upon things you know yeah. stores would share it or some other yeah. musician you know and 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 then you know as the brand sort of grown and you know most like i travel to the states a lot and most people in the music industry you know guitar or niche world mm. of that are familiar with the red witch brand which is is cool you know because mm. we've been going for 13 years mm. um so um you know, it's sort of it's it's changed a little bit to to you know artists are already aware of who you who you are, or who the brand is, and yeah, so yeah. on. So there's a you know there's a willingness to sort of engage. Um, yeah. So you gave up music largely for quite a long time, right? And, and that music's a component of what you do. Right? Yeah. You, you've always got a guitar around what, you're using it. Yeah. In a, in a, in a you know. Well, I work, yeah, you I stopped playing. Like, I stopped, stopped performing. I stopped performing for probably. Probably four or five years, yeah, you know, yeah. four or five years. I did a few gigs every yeah, now and yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. And then, as I say, started to sort of ramp things up again because I realised, you know, that it's a really integral part of... It's another side of your personality or whatever. Well, yeah, it? but, it, it, you know, it's, it, 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 it feeds the design stuff as yeah, well. Because there's nothing that motivates you more than needing something for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, you know there's a number of designs that I've come up with that have been really inspired by well, where I've been just going with my own playing and like, you know, being, I'm a big fan of Bill Frizzell, you know, and his mm. sounds, particularly his earliest of the sounds and, you know, American jazz, he's called a jazz guitar player, but he's, he's, he's yeah. cr- crossed sort of genre player and remarkable musician. He's like a um, country guitarist in space, isn't he? Like, yeah. He's, what he does now. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's done the, He's, you know, he's quite limitless. I think, you know, in in in, in the things that he gets into, and I, I, one of the things I love about him is that his um, it's real sincerity in his playing. Uh, well, his playing reflects who he is. You yeah. know, I was I was when I was in LA um, in January, I was I, a friend of mine introduced me to his ex girlfriend, and she's a bass player, and she was saying that she'd been playing with Frizzell recently, and you know, and I've I've met. Frizzell years ago I was at a gig that he did in Austin and it was reinforced sort of then as well but there's this thing with him where he's a very very humble shy man 
who doesn't feel very comfortable you can see it that he doesn't feel very comfortable talking you know he'd rather yeah. play guitar that's his voice yeah, yeah and, and it's sort of um, it's the absolute it's the polar opposite of any sort of rock star kind yeah, of yeah, swaggery yeah. he's the most unswaggery person in the universe yeah so it's just pure mu- music, you know. Um, it's beautiful and it's fragile. And I think the thing is, a lot of swaggers often in place as a as a as an armor, you know, the bravado is an armor to protect maybe someone inside that doesn't see a lot of light. Um, whereas with him, you know, to be able to just be it, himself, shy, and there's an yeah. awkwardness, I suppose, about the way that he expresses himself verbally. But but in the end, you know, he's just who he is. And that, that fragility comes through in his music. Um, but anyway, loving his stuff. And so the the Violetta, uh, which is a modulated delay pedal, you know, I, I was keen on having something which um, could kind of get some of that sort of spatial sort of stuff going on. And, mm. and, 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 you know, and I knew that, you know, that, that the market would appreciate it too, you know, because modulated delay, when the Violetta came out a few years ago, was definitely something that people were very into and still are you know mm. it's a pretty sound mm. um yeah um so your own playing kicks off again and how does that how does that sort of happen like apart from the fact that you're a guitarist you're always going to be playing the guitar and yeah yeah at some point how do you when do you take those how do those steps happen that you are suddenly on a stage again yeah it's a good question um there are a number of different things that sort of um reconnected probably probably getting back into the sort of scene after three or four years away from it I think probably the first gig was actually um, playing with the Hairy Lollies um, at Mighty Mighty uh, my friend John Kingston's got a, um, a group um, definitely one of sort of the, the eldest sort of yeah, elder statesman groups yeah they've been 15, 16 years yeah. um, or so um, but yeah John and I have been chatting and he was keen for me to jump up and play and um, it's a big ensemble band you know and it's um, you know quite psychedelic and sort mm. of psychedelic space funk I suppose is the, is the way that John would describe it and you know we had all, people doing all sorts of stuff there was a, there's a guy Ruben who's I think it's in London or Melbourne, but had been in the group, but came back for the gig, and he'd created these animations on the um, on the on the portion of you know the record at the centre where you have the um, title of the album and mm. credits and so on. He'd created these little tiny animations, and had a, a, a camera above the, the record, so that it would spin and an animation would be projected on the screen behind us and you mm. could create these, you know, it was quite amazing. Mm. So it was quite a, a, you know, sort of a whole experience sort of thing. Mm. So it was really doing that, I guess, that probably fired things back in, you know, and then I, you know, I've done a bunch of different stuff. I did that and ended up playing on um, Jan Hellregel's album, uh, All Grown Up, and playing guitar for her live um, various times sort of since then. Yeah. And, um, working with those guys which was great and that's working with um some a bunch of great musicians yeah right? some really really uh, great auckland based guys um which was cool because you know this sort of wellington's got it seen and auckland's got it seen and yeah. and it was it was really lovely to to get the opportunity to play with a group of guys that um you know have been well like the album was produced by um wayne bell who played yeah. drums 
you know, on a bunch of Jan's earlier stuff and and loads of other people. Oh yeah, he's, <laughs> you know, you know, he's he, one of the guys. He's, right? he's yeah, the, he's a fantastic composer and producer yeah. and just yeah. remarkably talented. He's a multi-instrumentalist. Yep, great guitar player. Yeah. Um, uh, great singer. Um, but he's um, yeah, he's also a super nice man. You know, he's a very he's another one of these people who's he's he's more confident than Bill Frizzell, but he's 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 got um, there's a real humility is, yeah. and he's just he is who he is. He's got a, He's got a fantastic sense of humour, but he's just you know he he he's an egoless kind of dude, and he's you know but he's super talented. Yeah. And then you know there were a bunch of other people. You know, Brett Adams also played guitar, and he's a phenomenal player. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, Nick Gaffney played drums, and of course he's Kyron I fight and remarkably talented guy. There just there was a whole heap yeah. of people involved. So that was really quite neat, and we did that up at um, Roundhead, and I hadn't recorded up there beforehand. There's Neil Finn's studio in Auckland, and that you know it was it was great. So, so I did that, and then um, um, played um, just with a variety of different other people, and um, and then um, had a group called Montezuma, which was quite short-lived, with Sage Kamaru and uh, Iroa Fokamoi. Um, who uh, you know it was it was great. We did like four gigs, but it sort of imploded on itself for yeah. various various reasons. Yeah. Um, and a hoary buzz sort of was, came out of that. Cause Sage and Ed, I hooked up with um, Aaron uh, Tokina. Yeah, who you'd known for. Yeah, um, yeah, a while. yeah. Well, Aaron yeah. had certainly been someone that had been around that yeah. scene back in the day when yeah. the tattoo stuff was going yeah, on and yeah. things. Of course, he had Weta, yeah. which had, had you know done really well. Um, and um, and so they did that and. Um, you know, the, there was uh, some other. I played in, with um, with friends Holly and Andy in their group, uh, Rosie Tin Tea Caddy, which that's was, right. yeah, you know, which was sort of a, a kind of. I guess you'd say it was a sort of folk country kind of infused mm. things, and yeah. I was trying to sort of do more sort of sonic stuff with that. And then, um, yeah, a number of other people, and then I ended up playing in a Hori Buzz um, for about sixteen, maybe eighteen months or so. Mm. Um, a few years ago, which was great fun because when I joined the band, it was it was a really great lineup um, of musicians. Um, it was a great project, and you know Aaron's a very talented guy, and it was great fun to we did some festivals and things. I think probably the gig I enjoyed the most would have been when we did Womade. Um It was great, you know. There was there was a whole heap of us on stage, yeah. and it was it was good fun. Yeah. And um, and so and and then also about that time. We put together a group called The Bones, which was myself, Sage Kamaru again on bass, um, Rick Cranston on drums from Little Bushman, uh, and uh, and Vanessa Stacey on vocals. And so we started working on original material for that fairly early on in the piece. Yeah. And, and we did a bunch of festival stuff. We did Homegrown. We did uh, Tora a couple Cuba. of times to Cuba Duper and, yeah. and things. And that's still sort of bubbling away there. We've kind of had a little hiatus for a few months because everyone's been very busy with other things. Yeah. And in that time, um, we've got another, a new group called Titan that's uh, myself and Sage and uh, bass player Shane Hamill because Sage is a multi-instrumentalist yeah. as well as being a great bass player. He's also a fantastic drummer. So we're um, uh, working on it at the moment and we've got a number of gigs and potentially some quite big support slots coming up, which... Mm. Uh, just waiting to hear back mm. I get confirmation on those but that's that's kind of cool because it's you know it's a trio situation it's a different thing it's definitely rock oriented you know and it's drawing on 
you know, some of the Zeppelin sort of stuff, but also some of the more sonic things. You know, Did you have an anxiety at all around going back to performing and having people might be coming to check you out because of the pedals, or has that, if anything, worked in your favour and being like, oh, cool, people want to, you know, it, it's a great endorsement for your product, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I now you're going to have anxiety about it. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think that, I don't think I've ever felt any anxiety any anxiety about yeah. it. It's like I don't know, like it, you know, the, the I think one of the differentiators with perhaps myself and my approach and some other people because I've always said you know that with the guys that have pedal companies they're either an engineer that plays a bit of guitar yeah, yeah. or they're a guitarist that does some engineer stuff yeah. and, and I'm definitely I see myself as a guitar player that's learned the yeah. engineering side of it and so for me it's always been about sound it's all about how to get a great sound and I've always loved the analogy of a laser beam I, players like Page or Mick Ronson with that classic rock world anyway where a sound cuts through and 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 Frizzell's the same thing where it's you know it's mm. it's 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 there's, there's no delicate, fact but it's, still, yeah, it's yeah. very very concise and it's yeah. very clear and yeah. I think that you know in the way I've always thought about pedals and amps and gear in general is the the colours you know they're they're the, they're the tools they're the conduit which you mm. with which you express yourself through mm. you know people get very caught up in gear and so on and they're more passionate about gear than making music and that's fine and God bless those people. Mm. Um, but the, I think the thing is, you know, with, with Sonic stuff, you know, it's all about colours. So for me, I guess, I've always strived really hard to have a good guitar sound when I'm playing, you know, even before starting Red Witch. So I, I haven't really had any sort of anxiety about it, you know, I've, I've, I've got quite a clear idea of what I want mm. things to sound like guitar-wise, and so sort of just delivering that. But yeah, I've met a bunch of people who sort of come to gigs who've been aware of Red Witch as well. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, so that becomes a good advert for, yeah, you know, yeah. sort of say, an endorsement. And it works both ways too. And yeah. um, I know that um, Kirk Hammett um, posted, which has just set the whole pedal community alight in the last few days. Kirk Hammett posted something because he's Kirk Hammett, guitar, lead guitarist from Metallica, has just started a pedal company. And he posted some tweet saying something along the lines of, you know, I think this is the first time an actual guitar player has started a pedal company. <laughs> And um, right. it was, it, it sort of, because there's a bunch of different people who have, and, and you yeah. know, there's various clips of me playing in bands and things, and so some yeah, people yeah. have thrown some of that sort of stuff out, which is quite funny. Not saying that I, in any stretch of the imagination, was because there's a heap yeah, of people yeah, who, yeah, yeah. who, who, you know, who built pedals. There's also a question about whether Kirk Hammett is an actual guitar player. Well, you know, yeah, there, there is, there is, there is I, as I say, I just wonder whether, he, I, I'm guessing he's going to do a wah pedal, um, he just that, can't turn did off. Did you see that thing the other day, um, someone posted of, um, uh, they were selling, um, Lars's yes, yeah, yeah, I saw, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. You know, I for me, like, I think about Metallica. I think, you know, um, you know, um, Master of Puppets is great. Um, I love Injustice for All because I remember when that came out. You know, yeah. um, skiving off school with, with with friends. You know, I had maybe like Hayden Culver who who just lived over, across a park from school and. And cutting out of school to go and listen to Injustice for All, you know, in Hastings in 1980s or other. If that hadn't been recorded inside a wet cardboard box, 
already a console that you built. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, that would have been that would have been a terrific album. But yeah, it's still it's still great. Like for the nostalgia attached to it. Oh, I, uh, Justice for All's a great album. Yeah. Full stop. I think. You know, I feel sorry for Jason Newsted. Yeah. Um, but it's you know it's one color. It's a grey granite album. Yeah, but it's um, the sleeve kind of reflects the time. It, right? it is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a perfect example. But so I think I think they've done some great yeah. stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and it's like I, I, you know, and maybe maybe his tweet was uh, taking the to, well, well, just totally intentional because it's yeah. it's like a fuse to panic because there's a yeah, lot of guys yeah. out there who, as I say, a lot of guitar players with a soldering on who started pedal companies and yeah. and. Um, yeah, but anyway. And whatever keeps him from making more Metallica music at this point could be good too, right? <laughs> uh, I really love James Hetfield's rhythm guitar playing. That's what I'm going to say about Kirk Hewitt. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think James Hetfield's right hand's are an awesome thing and always have. Yeah. 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 Um, so what what sort of, apart from the, the band stuff, um, and there's also been like the Led Zeppelin Mm. tribute we should mention that because that experience yeah, <clears throat> because you've um yeah yeah that's uh, you know uh, i think well, it, base, yeah i can Jimmy talk, page i can a, talk to that yeah um Jimmy page is a guiding force in your life in a sense sonically and, yeah, 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 yeah sonically yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. the um yeah so it was well my i've got a younger brother dan who's a very fine bass player and uh, he and i kind of grew up both with a sort of fixation on Led zeppelin when we were teenagers and so, you know, I decided at a pretty early stage that there was only one Jimmy Page in the Zeppelin, so he was John Paul Jones because he was three years younger than me. And, yeah. You know, he, um, I think, um, he's since, you know, he's... He's, he's adapted okay. He, he's come out of... He's since said to me that that was all right. Yeah. Um, though he probably wasn't so pleased about it at the time, but... Yeah. Oh, he's 12. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, we, um, we've played... We've got a friend of ours, Jamie Agnew, who's, uh, who's also a fantastic guitar make- maker as well, based in Rotorua. Um... And Jamie's got a great voice, and he can he can do the whole Robert Plant thing, mm. and he can do Rod Stewart. He's you know he's got a fantastic mm. fantastic voice, and so over the years we've kind of bashed out some Zeppelin tunes and things, and and, and a few years ago we uh, we ended up putting together uh, a show which we did up in Napier at the Cabana, uh, where we played pretty much the whole of the song and the same live concert from mm. 1973, and we went pretty hard with it. We had Tom Pirard on drums, who's fantastic drummer um, and uh, we did that as a one-off and it was great fun and filmed it and you know there was a lot of attention to detail that had gone into it and we we didn't bother dressing yeah, I was gonna up say, you didn't try to look no no you tried to sound like and, and I think the thing is I understand why people dress up and put wigs on it's and fun. things and it's it's you know it's it's kind of fun but it, for me that makes it more about like a, you're going to sort of like a dress-up party it, well a theatre sort of thing yeah, you know yeah, I suppose yeah, yeah. where it's you kind of make making believe you're watching them whereas I, I personally would rather have people close their eyes and sonically think that they're actually hearing Zeppelin yeah, or something yeah. with the same spirit, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the same intensity. Because the thing with Zeppelin is that they, you know, the album Presence was a reference to what they referred to as when the four of them played together, and mm. this this force would come through. And so I guess that's what we were sort of trying to convey. And so we did that one show, and and then. Um, talked about the idea of doing something more with it and so um like it'd be a year and a half ago now it was 2014 um we did um a, a short tour and we did a couple of provincial gigs and then we did auckland and wellington we did the power station in wellington and the james cabaret in, in wellington and um 
It was great, you know, we, we literally played the song the same from start to finish. We used, one of the big things, we used all the same equipment as close to as possible, certainly guitar-wise. Um, and, um, you know, and with some additional tunes at the end as an encore. And it was great, you know, it was a two and a half hour long show. And I, you know, I'd done a lot of research and watched a lot of clips of different acts, people doing tribute shows and things and experience stuff. And, and you know, I felt really, really good about how, what we sort of conveyed. Because in the end, I'd always thought that, you know, um, you'd never have found Jimmy Page or Robert Plant dressing up like their heroes. Yeah, yeah. Playing their stuff. But certainly... Yeah channeling that sort of yeah, stuff you know that, and, and exactly right? like, is that, is that spirit of well, wanting to well, reconnect with that stuff but in the in the so. in the early zeppelin tours you know the 69 yeah. and even 68 in europe but the u.s tour in 69 you know they didn't have much of their own material and so yeah, there was yeah. huge amounts of elvis and rock and roll yeah, tunes yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and giant medleys and exactly yeah, yeah. all of these tunes which were stuff that they loved and it was you know, they were injecting Master something. Birds, exactly, yeah. they were injecting something of their own, though, to it, which is, you know, with what we were doing, we were certainly trying to be true to the spirit of the Zeppelin thing. But yeah, you know, and so that was great. Like the 16-year-old me had the best time ever. Yeah, you know? yeah. And and it was it was good, you know. And we got a lot of really so positive. Some, something to do again. Yeah, well, I think the, the plan of attack is basically we filmed the Auckland show, and. Um, and the footage is really good and I've mixed the audio and it sounds great. And I think the thing is, for, for me, the goal was to try and, and um, put together a show where the performance was, was, the, was the best sounding Zeppelin experience that you could get anywhere. Mm. I, you know, and I, as I say, I watched all of the different clips of guys in the States and the UK and that. And really, it was, that was the goal to just the, the best sounding Zeppelin experience that you can get anywhere. Mm. And uh, we've got this great footage and, and the audio is really good as well. And so it's so a case... So you're sending that to Jimmy Page because he's looking for a new band again. <laughs> I, I read every other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, that hasn't been sent to Jimmy Page. So Robert Plant's, yes. <laughs> Robert Plant's guitar player, Justin, um, checked out some of the clips. And, yeah. Um, he had some kind things to say. He, so he, you met Robert Plant when he played here. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the scheme of you being... Yeah. the biggest Led Zeppelin fan I know and, mm. I'm, and, and I'm not as you know not a Led Zeppelin fan mm. I'm quite a fan so mm. t- and I love that show that yeah. part show is amazing so what was it like for you to meet you've met a lot of people by yeah. this point but was it something really special to meet a guy like him yeah well it, it was um, I brought my brother with me and I brought Jamie as well yeah. which was great and um, Justin um, I'd, I'd um, met him before and um Amazing player. Yeah, yeah, phenomenal. And it's actually been Robert Plant's songwriting partner for 18 yeah. years now, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, a very um, egoless sort of player, you know. His mm. background, you know, his dad was a diplomat, but he was brought up in all of these quite sort of exotic places and he was absorbing the music. And he didn't really listen to any Zeppelin and stuff. It was probably one of the key things of how he got the gig, you know. He was fresh ears almost, but mm. having spent a lot of time working you know, and, and, and absorbing and, and being involved in that whole um, uh, African thing, you know, Mali and stuff, and he yeah, was yeah. deeply involved in Tanaro and when they yeah, first yeah. sort of came to, you know, the yeah. Berber tribesmen with, with, with guitars instead of guns and things. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so we, um, we I met with him and then I met um, beforehand and then met the other guitarist, Skin, who was... Um, um, it's not skin. I have to 
pause that. Yeah. Edit that bit out. Yeah, yeah. I'll just uh, I'll just say the other cast. Yeah. I can't remember his yeah. freaking name. Yeah. Oh, maybe it is Skin. Bearded geezer. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I'll say, and of course, you know, met with the other guitarist. Uh, sorry, yeah. I'll say, um, and I, I met the other guitarist at, yeah. at, when Robert Plant was over, and he's probably more aligned with the sort of playing that I, I do, you know, more sort of, sort of classic rock, psychedelic sort yeah. of thing. Um, and, um, yeah, so, but, yeah, got, we met Robert after the Auckland show, and, um, yeah, it was really, it was quite amazing. As you say, I've met a bunch of people, and people that have been really influential, yeah. you know, on me, and, and even still, it was quite a buzz, and it was it was it was a cool experience in the sense that he was very present, you know, often yeah. you'd, you'd think that some people who've, had that degree of fame and are that well known they have a real armour around them as a self defence because you know in this world everybody wants to take something from people and so to be very open would be um, dangerous potentially whereas you know with him I felt he wasn't super open but he was very present he was there and he was engaged and um, you know um, there was you could see this quality that he um you know, this personality that he has that sort of got him through, you know, he obviously um, in the latter years of Zeppelin there was some dark things that happened for him personally, some tragedies and things and mm. I think that probably to go through those experiences, you either sink or swim, you know, and I, mm. I you know, I'd, I'd only imagine or assume I suppose that probably part of how who he is today has been a, a result of those experiences, right? Yeah, yeah, the stuff that yeah, or yeah, certainly just going through some some yeah. real challenges, and so that was quite inspiring to sort of see it firsthand. This yeah, thing. yeah, because he's a very sparky sort of a guy. You yeah. know, he's he's there's a real sort of um, joyful sort of playfulness with his sort of yeah. Energy. Well, watching even watching that show and and you know seeing footage of him in the last few years, the Alison Krauss thing and the other albums, there's. There's always that. There is still that sparkle in his eye, mm. right? When, when he performs and when he's interviewed, there's a mischievousness yep. and a and a um, well, that passion, you know, an excitement, and a passion. It's yeah. it's the thing again. It's that it's that universal thread. It's the yeah. passion, you know. Yeah, he's yeah. still and you know that, that mighty rearranger album. There's a number of lyrics mm. in that in those tunes which make very specific reference to not rehashing things and to keep re you know pursuing reinvention. And it's it's interesting because he's. Obviously, with Zeppelin, he was much more classic rock, and in the eighties, mm. you know, he still was sort of a rock kind of guy, mm-hmm. had the kind of honey drippers crooner thing. But then, you know, again, like, you know, uh, someone like Bowie, you know, who mm. again constant reinvention, you know, and, and Robert Plant's most recent album, um, um, the the um, it's different, you yeah, know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's. Um, it's recognisable always, yeah. but, it's but it's his voice. Just, yeah, but it's you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, it's not but, quite that sort of massive reinvention that Bowie would sort of embrace, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. But it's it's still that progression, still yeah, seeking right. things out. And I think that that um, yeah, that's that that can only come from a very genuine I like passion. He, I like that he, you know, and and Bow, I guess Bowie did this too, or right, you know, right the way through was that the, the little tip of the hat to songs by covering them still too mm. you know, like here's a song I like I didn't write it but I'm yeah. going to play it and I'm going to play it uh, you know so that you recognise it I'm not mm. going to totally reinvent it but it's my version of it mm. you know like and, and, and um, Plant's done that with a couple of Los Lobos songs mm. Bow, Bowie did that on his last well not the last album but the ones before that mm. um, there were you know yeah. still covering the kinks and things like that that you know that he'd done way back on pinups yeah I think the thing is fans of music you know, yeah fans fashion, of music fashion. but but also having such a 
such a um an identity of their own that you know their stamp on anything will change it you know it's rather than no one's going to sort of no one's going to um you know um, charge them with trying to sound like you know it's going to be them doing their interpretation or rearrangement of the tune which you know that term is something i always remember paul urbana you know getting from him because he played lots of other tunes by other people as well as his own material but you know when i was touring with him sort of hearing him talk about this is a rearrangement of this and it's like Mm -hmm. well that's even just a shift in thinking Mm. because the truth of it is any version of a song that you play that's not by you is a rearrangement you know it's just a case of whether you've taken the song and taken it to a new place which is beautiful and Mm. infused with your own essence and the stuff that you're passionate about and and, you know potentially to a new audience of people or if you're just butchering it because you can't play it properly they're all forms of rearrangement hey 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 we covered covered my attempts at covers right at the start well you (laughs) know it was fucking cruel man (laughs) something something drew those those people well it may have been two dollar pints I don't know um that would have been the best and, music we've heard all night. And, and the singer Six Peel as well. You know. He <laughs> um, had something. Tell me, <laughs> tell me what's what's kind of next. What's current outside of the the band, Titan? The, um, what what's what's going on with Red Witch? What's well, the next thing that you're working on? What's the plan? Well, the thing with Red Witch is that it's you know it's it's very much the focus. Mm. You know, it's um, it's um, you know, it's grown mm. dramatically over the years. You know, I, um from when it was just me in the garage. So in 2009, I sold a uh, chunk of the company to two guys, uh, two investors, uh, Jeff Matthews and Trevor Nicholson. And um, and with that investment, um, uh, Jeff took a, an active role in being involved in the company and, and Trevor did to some degree mm. as well. But Jeff um, um, said about bringing on board um, uh, our chairman of our board, uh, David Jones, um, and building the infrastructure that wasn't there because I, you know, I, I, yeah, I had no yeah. background in corporate structure or no. anything like that, and 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 so implementing change to enable the company to grow, um, and you know, I'd by that stage I'd already shifted production offshore, which was a huge undertaking, yeah. but necessary for us to be able to sort of. Um, to yeah. basically yeah do it in an international sort of scale yeah. and um and then you know the, the the range of products grew exponentially the number of people using the products grew yeah. um you know we did a bunch of things the seven sisters like with the first mini pedal range yeah, yeah. Of, of of effects that anyone had done internationally um you know and and, and just forever moving forward that's the you know that's the, the, always the challenge you know it's like the, the, as anybody who's in business knows um, it's it's always about sort of that keeping that momentum keeping things moving forward and you know the, the, the brand's always been really well received and really well loved and the products have always been really well loved and and um, and that sort of brought us to the point where um, last year we basically went out um, other people had come on board as well uh, other investors had come on over the years um, a key one to come on as, as well as and become a director as well um, mm. Bob King who um, you know brought um, some some real weight to things as well um, and uh, it's been really interesting working with these guys too because you know my background is as a musician as the guy who started a company because he didn't want anyone telling him what to do and it's been a real interest it's been a really interesting process and a real 
privilege actually to work with these guys because they've come from a very different world to me and yet you know we're all on board we've all invested in this company mm. the belief is there that's mm. the thing you know and and for people you know if you're a guitar player you can sort of see you know there's an immediate connection for passion mm. but for for people who are you know who are heavy hitters to get involved because they they see your vision they see your passion and they believe in the company that's an amazing feeling you mm. know and so i've got a lot of appreciation and respect for that and then last year we um we ended up um, doing a, a, a public share offer through snowball mm. and um where we basically brought on um a, a, a you know a group of people who invested in the company public shareholders um which which was that comes a huge amount of responsibility because um you know, it's other people's money who they think what you're doing is cool and yeah, they, yeah. they believe in what you're doing and, you know, would like a return on their investment, obviously. Um, and so that brings with it a lot of responsibility. So, you know, my, my day-to-day stuff is, all, is, is, you know, focused entirely on, on Red Witch. Um, it's, um, you know, we've, we've got a range of things going on. We've got this professional development course that we've put together um, for people that work in music stores that are um, um, the sales guy, basically. Mm. And it's, 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 it's a training program about guitar effects pedals, not specific just to Red Witch. And it's a 10-week course that they complete via email video link. Mm. Uh, there's a, a webinar video sort of thing at the end, end of it with me. Once they've completed the course, they... Um, they get a certificate stating that they're a pedal magus, they get a t-shirt, and they get a free pedal of their choice. Mm. And for us, it's about building those core competencies because there's a lot of misinformation, yeah, you know, yeah. as there is in any f- sort of mm. field with the internet. You know, There's no filtering of the good information from the bad. And so for us, it's really important as, as Red Witch to have really well-informed people selling our stuff because then they can tell people, well, yeah, you yeah. should choose this or choose that. And even if it means that... You know, that comes down to three pedals for a customer and one of them's a Red Witch pedal. They'll have the resources to go, you want to go with this one or you want to go with this one and, yeah, and the reasons yeah. are, you know... And to actually explain the differences. Precisely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's, it really is... Um, you know, there's just so much misinformation out there. So so that's one of the things which we've oh, done recently. Awesome. It's yeah, really yeah. exciting. And then we've got a new website that we're working on, which is was really exciting. And there's more products that I'm designing. So you know that's 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 you know that's what I do full time. Yeah. Um, and you know the um, we've got a, a great group of people working within the company too. Yeah. We've got um, uh, a lady Julie Jolly, who's uh, sort of our sales marketing manager. And she works actually out of Queenstown, and she's fantastic. You know, she's a big music fan. Um, doesn't play guitar herself, but very, very passionate about music, and uh, has just brought uh, huge energy to things. You know, um, and has developed some great relationships with 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 our um, you know um, sales partners, and mm. and you know, and I've just been at the NAMM show over in LA in January, and there was just great feedback. Which about you go to. Every year, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so she's fantastic. We've got um, Dan Haston um, uh, on board doing our social media stuff as well. He's a very capable guitar player in his own right, mm. and so he's um, he's taking care of of you know, a lot of our social media stuff, making sure everything's shared out on all the platforms. Mm. And then um, and then we we have an accountant um, based in Auckland, Mahesh, she works for one of the director's parent companies. Um, and so you know, those are the core people that are yeah, sort of yeah, involved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, you know, yeah. So it, there's, there's there's a lot of forward motion going yeah, on yeah. at the moment. And it's there's an actual company. business with the yeah. staff, you know, where it wasn't. Oh, it, it, well, it was, it was exactly. It was, it was just me. It was a hobby. Yeah. hoping to become a yeah. job. Right. And it, well, it became a job pretty quickly, yeah, yeah, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. But it was um, it certainly. It, but it, I mean, an ongoing job. Like, exactly. It, was, uh, it must have been like earning you an income, but like the wheels. Well, everything was going back, and the wheels could have fallen off at any stage. Yeah, exactly. Whereas now it's you know it's it's um. Set up. Well, it's been going for, for you know, come to fourteen yeah, years, yeah. you know, and so for for a company to be around that long, particularly in this industry, is quite a major achievement yeah. in itself. And yeah. but I think for us, you know, um, um, going out with the public share offer was was quite a huge thing. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, as I say, it was you feel very honoured actually when people believe in something you're doing, um, and uh, you know, um, it inspires you to do more you know mm. so yeah wow um and so when do you wrap all this up and go i can't do that anymore i I've, i can't design i've got no, you know because there's that element isn't it you've got to come up with product you've mm. got to you you know how do you how do you obviously you feed the machine by playing by being around musicians by finding out what people want by listening for sounds that aren't, mm. aren't there mm. but you've also still got to translate that yeah yeah and uh how hard is that and what sort of shelf life do you place on that for mm, yourself? Mm, that's a good question. Um, well, I've never been short of ideas for pedals. You know, there's a bunch of thoughts that I have, you know. And, and yeah. again, that's one of the things about having a playing component in my, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. existence, you know, yes. that working and writing tunes and playing gigs and so, so on. So you stumble upon things too, I imagine, right? Like, exactly, yeah, you yeah. know, it, it's the thing. It's, it's you know, if you were existing in a, um, a bubble, um, just just designing stuff, you know, you, you know, you wouldn't be getting an inspiration, whereas a lot of things, as I said about that, that Violetta being inspired by the Bill Frizzelli sort of stuff, mm. um, it's like, uh, you know, needs... Um, prompt sort of things thoughts ideas it's like oh I'm doing this I'm doing that and you know I'm doing a, a solo set at the uh, Tora 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 festival and so I'm uh, still trying to work out what I'm going to do mm. but I've been sort of looking at um, reverbs and things and kind of got my head sort of thinking like that and again that's you know there's nothing like if there's it's sort of without designing from a position of what we're going to use you kind of you don't know whether you're going to create you don't know whether some idea you think it's a great idea no one's going to use it you know whereas if you if you're if you're dealing with oh look i need this and actually i could see how heaps of other people would would mm. would benefit from this then you kind of you know with the last like the, the two, we've just done two bass pedals that i've designed the, the zeus and the factotum is the the zeus is a, a sub octave fuzz so it does a low note uh, an octave lower than the, the notes being played and a fuzz yeah. and it's full frequency response and there's key features in those pedals that are a direct result of me knowing that you know bass players are different to guitar players yeah. they require these things and so it's sort of it, it, you know to some degree in an informed opinion rather than just like yes. oh that'd be cool stick yeah, this and stick this, this and it's zany yeah, yeah. well what's the big thing with all of the stuff that I've designed I've always said with Redwich you know with, with the companies products it's about functional innovation in that you provide guitar players with the sounds they're looking for because guitarists are quite regressive mm. um, you're great if, say the moon phase a great phase sound cool tremolo sound but then something that's unique and hasn't been done before like the tremolo and phase occurring at the same time the tremolo phase effect 
but it's actually usable mm. rather than just being bells and whistles because anybody can take two ideas and smash them together. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think vanilla coke, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. <like>. vanilla ice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's the um, yeah. It's it's so so. I guess um, as long as I'm playing, I don't think that I'm gonna run out of of ideas. The market's changed a lot. There's a it's it's a glut of people doing pedals. I wouldn't want to start a pedal company no, now. No, no. Um, but I think um, where we're at at the moment, you know, the brand is, is well established. You know, we've got a great artist roster of, of guys that use our stuff and love using our stuff. So who are some of the names that, I guess, mean a lot that are using it? Yeah. To um, you personally and yeah, I well, guess to, to people that are like listening going, wow, fuck, yeah. that's cool. Like, well, there's, there's varying sort of degrees. There's people who, you know, you have purely professional relationship yeah, yeah, that yeah. they... They, you know, use your gear and, and appreciate that and sure. you have some connection with them. And then there's other people where, you, you know, you're fortunate to forge a friendship, you know, it yeah, feels yeah. like a two-way street and people like that, like um, Dave Catching uh, from the Eagles of Death Metal and yeah. Earthlings and a bunch of other stuff. He was in Queens of the Stage for a bit. Um, he's a super nice guy. He's also got Rancho de la Luna out in Joshua Tree, the um, studio there. But he's a lovely guy and, and you know, great advocate of, of our stuff, but also mm. super nice person and, you know, um, like you call him a friend, through to, um, you know, there's there's a bunch of guys that, um, you know, use our stuff that I don't have those sorts of relationships with. Yeah. But probably one of the other guys, groups that, you know, when I was growing up, I was a big fan of was Faith in the Moor, and mm. then they, you know, I ended up spending a bunch of time with them. Um, and both the guitarist John and bass player um, Bill have got a bunch of stuff that that I've designed. Yeah, wow, well, that's cool. Yeah, and so yeah. you know there was, was. I mean, that's cool for you because yeah. you know you have this connection with that band as a listener, exactly as a person who went to their shows. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And would still go to their shows. Yeah, and and you know and yeah, it, yeah, it certainly opened some some cool doors and you know mm. first mm. sort of meeting them um, up in Auckland and ending up chatting with. Um, Mike Patton um, for a number of hours just about a whole lot of the, you know facets of what he's sort of done and the sonic mm. stuff because he was very interested in the synthesizer pedal that I was yeah. hadn't um, finished designing at that stage but you know talking with him about his work with Raziel and things like yeah. that which you know yeah. uh, you know it's quite extraordinary for him where do you start with a guy like that right like I think you start so, well you know I think um, with someone like him you know if, if if he's in the place to chat, then you know you that, anywhere, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, where you know it was interesting. You know, he was talking about that experience. Just you know how remarkable a talent that guy is, and how he felt mm. for him. His role was, you know, to sort of perhaps share other genres other than what he was just working in with him. Mm. Which you know that's an interesting thing in itself. You mm. know, because obviously mm. someone who can do that sort of stuff with one single microphone yeah. it's incredible yeah. and it doesn't need to be just limited to that to the genre that he sort of works within because obviously that's where it's come from but mm, you know mm. to to expand that out you know and that mm. was that was kind of the gist of what he was sort of saying mm. um, so you know there's there's a stack of guys you know and the people like I had a, you know I found Blixer Bargill had some of our stuff years ago yeah. wow. um, which which was cool yeah. you know um, there's there's you know, we're really fortunate, you know, to have um, all of these people, you know. Yeah, yeah. We've got an artist list on the website that's yeah, yeah, yeah. several pages long and it's it's crazy. And it's nice to have the international guys and then the national guys. guys yeah, too. you know, yeah. you know, from guys, um, you know, sort of the, 
um, guys well, like Jeff Boyle and from Jacob and, and Morris as well in that group and obviously I'm from Hawke's Bay and so are they yeah. we all grew up together and so Jeff's been a great and Morris have both been great advocates of, of the stuff and through to um, you know so those icons like Neil Finn and, yeah. and Dave Dobbin and people like that yeah. using the gear as well and um, and that's really nice too because um, you know again the people that have done you know created beautiful music yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that's the biggest thing and it's I, I guess it's at the end of it all your experience as a listener um, with with those artists you know they create something that has a profound effect on you um, and helps you through challenging times and provides a soundtrack for you know times of great elation and, and good times and to be able to um, you know to to have some contribution to that process you know and I know as a guitar player myself you know as a creator in that format you know the sonic stuff is is great to receive it and so on so to be able to design and build some things that people that have made stuff you know that have created art that has you know had a major impact on me and is very um, close to me um, that's a great feeling well um we've had a few many conversations over the years but I don't think we've ever had one quite like this mm. we've had a few that have touched on some you know touched on some of this and I don't think I've ever um, properly interviewed and no, I'm not saying this is a proper interview but I guess it is yeah, I've never yeah. properly interviewed you before I think I might have might have tried to plug one of your solo gigs way back in the day when mm. I was first Writing some column inches. I think for you the gave paper. my uh, my solo album a, a, like a four star review. Oh. That's four out of five. Um, for, and for those people <laughs> listening, who are familiar with Simon's cruel, cruel treatment of many, many artists, some deserving, some maybe not so deserving. Um, I think if those artists who um, who actually had been um, treated cruelly by uh, Simon were to hear my album and, and, and see the four out of five star rating, I think that credibility might be seriously uh, <laughs> impacted upon. But Probably, but it was a lo- it was a long time ago. But I just I think um, you were drinking a lot back then too. Probably, yeah. I think I was as well. Um, I, I not only wanted to say thanks for stopping by and doing this, but you know, um, I, I often sort of say to people that I'm you know really proud of what you're doing and what you've done. It's you know I'd be proud of you as a friend anyway. But it's it's been interesting to me because um, people sort of <clears throat> my year that year or so younger than you at school. Uh, and or just other people that know me and, and know you sort of separately but mm. through music um, if, if you come up in conversation and people sort of talk about what you're doing and what are the pedals or um, that they know someone who's using them it's, all, it's always nice to be able to say well you know that, that's a really good friend of mine and I'm mm. you know you must be that's amazing it's like yeah it is amazing and I'm really proud oh, so thank you it's, it's, to say that. well that's very kind of you Simon I've um you know, uh, yeah, you know, your friendships always, I've always appreciated your enthusiasm for all the stuff that I've, I've done. And, uh, and yeah, you know, I think, I guess both of us, um, not following traditional paths, you know, yeah, yeah. and, 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 and I, I think often when you don't follow a traditional path with, you know, whether you were as a musician or what you do or whatever, um, you know, there's, there's inherent challenges in, in doing that and people don't necessarily sort of who aren't involved in that sort of thing aren't, aren't necessarily so aware 
Yeah, um, they think you're just scoping off, right? Yeah. Like from, you, you know, you're not occupying a desk, yeah. so you mustn't be doing something. Or, or it must be easy for you because you're not punching a clock. And they yeah. don't know yeah, yeah. quite what you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, you know, that's and, true. It's and nice I've, to... I've always enjoyed, as I say, just to share also the fact that, you know, that we've we've maintained a great friendship in spite of in spite <laughs> of you writing some terrible, terrible things that I... About some good friends. About some people that I care about <laughs> and that I've completely disagreed with you about. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, you know, um, I think, as I say, I think that your 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 process into these um, these um, podcast things, I think, is is, a, is, a, is an excellent format for your uh, your resources. Why? Because if I spend two hours talking to someone, I can't be at the computer slagging them off. Well, <laughs> it's just, you might it's just, it's just shifting time. You, you <laughs> might, you might. I, you know, I, I think, I think it's. Um, I think that the, the two-way streets often a good thing, yeah. and yeah, but yeah, you know, it's. Um, it, I think, um, I guess, from our generation, there seems to be a large number of people who've gone out and done quite colourful things, and it, yeah, it's, it's quite neat. It's neat to see how everyone's sort of going and and what Finds everyone's done. Finds their little spot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks, man. It's been cool. A pleasure. Cheers.